I'm excited for this message because I think of this message, I want to talk about John 15, about the vine and the branches. And I think that is a very, always a very encouraging set of scripture to encourage us to see how we relate to Christ and how Christ relates to us. And I think in this message, I'll point out a few other things in that message that will help us even to see a little bit more depth of what Christ wants to do in each of our lives that I think gives us a lot of encouragement. Because if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that I want to focus a lot this year on the theme of connect and tell. That then this year that we would do our part to connect with other people and tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That a part of our evangelistic calling would develop this year. And I read the last couple services from Acts 1 verse 8 that says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. And I think sometimes we stop right there with you'll be my witnesses, and that makes us a little anxious. Kind of like, okay, you're talking about evangelism. You're talking about sharing the gospel. And I'm not really sure if I'm prepared to do that. I don't know if I'm really equipped to do that, and I don't know if I'm really comfortable with that. And I think every one of us probably to some degree gets a little antsy when we hear that word witness, but then it goes on and it says, and then you, but we forget about the part that says, but you'll receive my power. And that's the part that we want to focus on, that we receive Christ's power to do what he has called us to do, that God didn't just say, okay, you go be my witnesses and go figure it out on your own. But he says, I'm going to be with you in power. And I think sometimes we wonder, okay, how is this power going to appear? And how is this power going to manifest when I am called to be his witness? And I think we see a lot of ways that his power is going to manifest and the power is going to be with us in John 15 with analogy of the grapes and the branches and the vines. So I think we put this together today. It's a very encouraging message. So today I want to talk about the whole concept of abide in Christ. If you read the book of John, you're going to quickly figure out that John likes the theme of abide. He likes to talk about the word abide a bit, quite a bit. And I think in our society, in our culture, that the word abide is kind of an old-fashioned word. Probably none of you, most of you, probably have not used the word abide in the last six months. And some of you probably even longer than that. It's just not a typical word that you would use, even though the simple meaning of it just means to remain or to stay or to dwell. That's the concept here. So your, your newer translations won't say abide as much as they, they will say maybe dwell or remain. But the fact that the abide in Christ is a word that we hear quite a bit in Christian circles. And I think for some of us, we probably don't understand the full meaning of that. And I think when we don't understand the full meaning of it, we don't understand its full value. And instead, sometimes I think we feel a little bit more guilty Kind of like, okay, that abide in Christ is, I really don't know what that means, but I know I'm supposed to do it, and you kind of feel a little guilty. And maybe you've not even done anything wrong, and probably I think my goal is that we walk away from here understanding more of how we are all are already abiding in Christ because of the work that he has done for us. I like how John Piper refers to the, the word abide as the lifelong extension of encountering Jesus. And that what is kind of the summary of what it means to abide in Christ. It's a lifelong extension of encountering Jesus. And you'll see the way we encounter Jesus is because how much he has encountered us in our own life. So I want to talk quite a bit about what that means. And I want us to take a lot of comfort in abiding in Christ. Instead of maybe taking a little bit of, of uh, un- take, take away maybe some of the uncertainty of what it means to abide in Christ. Take that away so you can leave here today with maybe a new sense of confidence how the power of God is going to manifest in you 
through abiding in Christ. So let me start out by reading John 15, verse 1 through 11, where it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he is in that, he is, he it, what am I, let me just start over. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So this is what is going on in this chapter. Jesus is with his 12 disciples, and they were headed to the upper room for the night before Jesus would be crucified. So his 12 disciples gather, and Jesus is going to have his last meal with them. And some of you know the, the chapter of 12 and 13 and 14 that lead up to this chapter 15, when Jesus is going to talk to his disciples about the vine and the branches. And during this time, we know that uh, Jesus' disciple Judas was exposed for his sin, and he left the room and now Jesus is left with his 11 other remaining disciples and he begins to talk to them a little bit more about his death. So you can imagine the disciples are in this upper room, just the 12 of them all gathered, the 11 disciples and Jesus, and there's probably a little anxiety because Judas has just been exposed and he's out of the group. And I'm sure some of them are wondering, wow, how did that happen? And how did I not see that happen? And so I'm sure there's a lot of feelings going on of probably anxiety and questions. And on top of that, Jesus once again is talking about his death. And as you read through the scriptures, you understand the disciples, even though they were told about Jesus' death, they really didn't grasp all of the meaning of why he had to die on a cross. And they didn't really grasp the idea that he'd be resurrected. And so there's a lot of just questioning going on in the room. And even though it's a small group of people, I kind of imagine that that probably the anxiety was a little bit high in the room because what is going on and what is happening. And right before this situation in John verse chapter 13 verse 34, Jesus gives this new commandment, he says to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. Love one another. So on top of everything going on, Jesus is introducing some new principles to the disciples. See, Jesus is fully aware of what's going on in the disciples, and he's fully aware of what's going to happen in the disciples in the next 24 hours. Jesus tells Peter that he's going to betray me, Jesus knows that one of his closest disciples is going to betray him. And on top of that, Jesus is anticipating how his disciples are going to react once he is actually tried and beaten and hung on a cross and died. So Jesus is aware of the uncertainty that these disciples are going to face in the next 24 hours. He also knows that how, the uncertainty that they're going to face even the 40 days after his death before Jesus um, um, 
before he, the, the three days after his death, while Jesus is in the grave, he knows that his disciples are going to have a lot of degrees of uncertainty. So I think what Jesus is trying to do in this, in, in John chapter 15, is to give his disciples some certainty. To give them some hope that they can hang on to and maybe give them this last illustration, this last allegory about the vine and the branches so that the, while they are feeling unstable, that they will find some stability in the last words of Christ and the last meal that they have with him. One of the definitions of abide in Christ means to find stability in your relationship with Christ. And I think that's what Christ wants to do at this meal is to help the disciples find some stability. And so he's going to paint this picture for them of vine and branches and a vine dresser. And I know for a lot of us, that whole analogy of vine and vine dressing, that really doesn't mean a whole lot to most of us. A lot of us don't grow up growing grapes in our backyard and kind of the picture of grape vines that we might see in Napa Valley are completely different from what you would see in Israel um, 2,000 years ago. But I think Jesus' disciples were keenly aware of this analogy and I think it's going to be pretty powerful for them and what I want to do today is draw out some more illustrations from the vineyard to also give each of us stability because in a lot of ways we're like the disciples we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow we don't know what's going to happen next week or the week from it but what God wants us to do is be able to abide in him so no matter what happens in our life we find great strength and we find great stability no matter what situation that we are in so Jesus is about to use, ready to use this whole illustration of the vine and the branches to help us understand our relationship with him and how we can abide with him. And this is the main point of the whole illustration is this, that one must be continually united with Christ if they want to be fruitful in their life. That's the whole point of what Jesus is going to say, that you must be continually united in Christ if you want to be fruitful in your life. And you might wonder, why didn't he just, just, just say that a few times? Why does he give this whole illustration of vine and branches? Because that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Why didn't he just say like a few times over in six different ways, you need to abide in me and I in you, and then you're going to be united. I think he gave the illustration of the vine and the branches because it's going to be pretty powerful once you get that image in your head and you kind of really understand it. So as I said before, you know, one of the definitions of abide is to remain stable in your relationship with Christ. And that's what Jesus is trying to get the disciples to do, to help them find some stability in the relationship with Christ so what happens over the next 24 hours doesn't cause them to all run off and get all panicky, but they'll find some stability. The Greek word for abide is a word that simply means to remain and to stay and to dwell. That's what Jesus wants his disciples to get this point across. And so in summary, to abide in the vine simply means that you're going to be united with Christ, that you're going to rely on Christ and that you're going to continue your relationship with Christ long-term. That's not something that you're just going to do short-term, but this is long-term. That is your relationship with Christ. So what does this illustration actually mean? What does all this stuff mean about vine and branches? So we start with verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is a vine dresser. I think you kind of that's kind of pretty easy. You kind of figure that one out. Okay, Jesus is a true vine. And God is the vine dresser, and so we later in the scripture, it talks about we are the branches. So that's the illustration. And then you get to verse 2. In verse 2, I think sometimes we step back and say, I don't know if I really get what that means. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, referring to the vine dresser. And every branch that does not 
bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruitful. So now Jesus just said that every branch that is in me, we kind of understand that. You have a relationship with Christ. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're a Christian. You are in the branch. Your vine, you being, I mean, you being the branch, you are grafted into the vine. We get that part. But then when he says, but if it does not bear much fruit, he takes it away. And I think we start to wonder there, does that mean if I am a Christian and I'm connected with Christ and could I like lose my salvation? Does that mean like if I did something wrong or maybe I doubt it or maybe I lack of faith or maybe I actually did some sin that suddenly I could be taken out of the vine? Is that what he's trying to tell us here? And I think we wonder because the language kind of makes you think that if you are in Christ, you don't bear fruit, meaning you know you don't have evidence in your life of um, maybe you, you have... you. You're not bearing fruit, have evidence of maybe sin patterns in your life, and you're wondering, am I suddenly separated? And do I have to come back and be, re- be reconnected again? And so I think that question is brought up in that translation that we kind of wonder. And that's actually not very comforting because what Christ wants us to have is security of our salvation as well. He doesn't want us to be wondering every day, like, okay, am I saved now? And like, I did something wrong, got a bad attitude, am I suddenly out? And so Christ wants to give his disciples some stability because he knows that they're going to experience hard things in the next 24 hours. So what does it mean when it says if you bear, if you bear no fruit, he's going to take you away? So this verse hinges on this word, take away. What does that really mean, takes away? You learn um, in some other translations, they will say, instead of every branch that is in me that doesn't bear fruit, it will say, he removes. And so the question is, what does it really mean that he takes away or he removes? Does that mean you're separated, you are no longer saved? Can we lose our salvation tomorrow? So I want to talk first about, is there a fact of eternal salvation? Can you have confidence in your salvation? Or do you need to get saved on a daily basis if you sin? Or, you know, you get mad or angry? Now, the Bible wants to give us this confidence of eternal salvation that, you know, once you're saved, once you have an authentic, a real relationship with Christ, it is eternal. And here's a couple passages I just want to talk about for a minute, but this isn't the main emphasis of my message. And, you know, John 15, 16, later in this text, it says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And we read in, um, in Jeremiah 31, 3, it says, I have loved you with eternal love. And the whole message in the gospel and also in 2 Timothy is that God didn't save us according to our works, but according to the grace and the faith that he gives to us to be saved. So we see when God has given us this gift of grace and faith and we come into a relationship with him, as in uh, Romans 8 says, that there's nothing. Even if we have sin or we have failure or weakness in us, it's not going to remove us from our relationship with Christ when we have an authentic and a real relationship with Christ. So we know that John, he's not talking here about you're going to be separated from Christ, that you're going to remove, that you're no longer be saved. So all that information, what does it really mean? That's when it's good to have some good commentaries. So there's a good commentary about, by James Montgomery Boyce on the Gospel of John. Now, James Montgomery Boyce is one of these theologians that if he, he talks, people listen. He's not just some random guy that you, like, you find on the dime store bookshelf for a buck, but he's like one of the, the real theologians that when he weighs in on an issue, people listen. 
and people follow, and he just... So he brings into here a different insight, I think, in a way to look at the Scripture that I think will give you a lot of confidence and will help make sense to a Scripture that sometimes I think we misinterpret. For James Montgomery Boyce, he says, you know, it can't mean that, you know, your, your, your security of your salvation is up for grabs. That's not what the Bible's talking about. So, okay, what does it mean when he says takes away or removed? So Boyce jumps into the Greek, and he says, you know, the Greek word for, uh, for the um, arrow is for that re remove or take away. It has four different ways that you can look at it, four different meanings. Number one, it can mean to lift up literally. Number two, it could be lift up figuratively. Number three is to lift up with the added thought of carrying it away. And the fourth is to remove how it's commonly used in translations. And so after James Montgomery Boyce looks at how the scripture is written and the scripture surrounding it, he says, you know, it's probably a better translation to say that every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he lifts up. Yeah. That every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he lifts up. And I'm going to talk about the vine and the branches, and you're going to see what the vine dresser does to lift up a branch. And I think you'll find how he interprets that gives you a lot of security. Now, you may wonder, you say, okay, Jack, well, are you, are you saying all the other Bible translations are wrong? Not at all. What I'm saying is he gives some different insight into looking at that scripture that helps you see what Christ is actually doing to us if we're having a hard time bearing fruit. So one of the things that is helpful to understand this verse is to understand how are grapes and branches and vines, how are they grown? Because when you understand a little bit of viticulture, which is the art of growing vines, it kind of understands what James Montgomery Boyce is saying. Because if you look at vines and branches, the typical way that vines and branches will grow is on the ground. They don't just come out of the ground and grow up. They grow on the ground. And that's very dangerous for them. That's why you see all in Napa Valley, you'll see trellises. You take When a vine starts growing, you've got to train it to come up and then you're going to grow it on the vine. And so that's what he's saying in here, is that when the vine, the branch is on the ground, God will come and lift it up. Now you might say, okay, well, how about the translation that says, every branch that in me doesn't bear fruit, he removes. Well, the question is, he removes it from what? Does he remove it from the branch, the vine? Or is he removing it from the ground? And so I think you'll see in this illustration that God lifting you up gives a lot of comfort and it gives you a lot of security of what God is doing in our life. So we go back 2,000 years ago and these disciples that are sitting around are going to know a lot about vine dressing. They're going to know a lot about growing grapes and they're going to know a lot about vines and branches and what that all means. So this illustration for those disciples at this time was very meaningful. For most of us, we probably don't get it very much. So back in the Middle East, uh, back 2,000 years ago, vines would grow on the ground. When branches would come up, they would just grow and slither on the ground. And that's very dangerous because if your, your branch is growing on the ground, it's not going to produce good fruit. Branches on the ground do not produce good fruit because the branch needs to be elevated to give airflow around the grapes to produce good fruit. If that branch is on the ground and grapes start being produced, the moisture in the air that comes from the dew at night from the Mediterranean Sea will actually start to rot the grapes. If the grape sits on the ground, the mold, it will become susceptible to mold and mildew. 
and all the bugs on the ground. So in order for that branch that naturally grows on the ground, the vine dresser has to lift it up in order that it can produce healthy fruit. The branch has to be actually lifted up in order so that the wind can blow around it. And you kind of think of the whole analogy of the Holy Spirit. You think of the breath of God and the wind of the Holy Spirit to lift it up so in order that the vine can produce grapes. Now that's kind of a pretty significant way to look at the scripture. That when God says, I am the... Um, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you don't bear fruit, what I am going to do for you is I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to remove you from the ground in order that you may produce fruit. And then he goes on, he says, and then I'm going to prune you as well. That means if any parts of you need to be cut back, he will do that. So you see this whole grace of God coming into your life because some of us think maybe I don't bear much fruit in my life. Maybe my life doesn't speak that good of a witness. And maybe some of you struggle with that. And you can take confidence in this verse to know that when you come before God and you say, look, I don't know if I'm being that fruitful, you can have confidence to know that God says, well, I will lift you up so you can bear fruit. And you think about the way that we pray for people. What do you say if a person calls you up and says, you know, they're, they're in a very difficult situation, a hard situation? Usually you respond back to the person and say, well, I will lift you up in prayer. I think what we say is I'll lift you up in prayer. I'm not lifting you up. I'm lifting you up in prayer in the name of Jesus. Because when you're in that hard situation, you're in that situation in your life where you feel like you're on the ground. Christ comes in and says, well, I will lift you up out of that situation. And let the wind of the Holy Spirit come around you that you may produce and bear fruit. I think that's what this Jesus is trying to say to his disciples. You can have great courage in me. You're going to walk into some uncertainty, but you can bear courage with me that I will lift you up and I will give you the ability to bear fruit that you cannot do on your own. Because on your own, you're just going to grow along the ground. But I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to lift you up. And if you walked into a vineyard back 2,000 years ago, a vineyard back in Israel, you're going to notice it's filled with rocks. There's rocks everywhere because what they would do when the little, the little trunk starts growing out of the ground, one of the first things they're going to do is they're going to put a rock up against it to help the, the vine to grow straight up. And we know that whole symbolism of a rock used throughout Scripture over and over again is of Jesus. So you take the vine, the first thing you do, put a rock next to it, starts growing up. And then when the shoots and the branches are going off in the garden, well, then put another rock there to kind of hold it up. And then they would take old extra branches that they would uh, dry out, and then they would lift up uh, the trellises. So they would have this natural trellis going all over. But the whole thing is, is to keep the branches off the ground so they can produce much, much fruit. And what the vine dresser does over and over again is the vine dresser repositions the branches. And that's what God does a lot in our life. He repositions us. You may go along in your life and saying, this is going good, this is going well, and suddenly you feel like you are being repositioned. You're like, now what's happening? What is God doing in my life right now? I don't know. I, I think I liked it better this way. And suddenly you feel like he's took your branch and he's kind of moved it over here and put you on a different rock. And over and over again, God just moves in our life so we can bear fruit and says, okay, you're going this way. Now, I've got to redirect your life a little bit more, and I'm going to make you go this way, and I'm going to put another rock there. I think our lives are growing and going from rock to rock to rock to rock. 
going relying on Christ to relying on Christ to relying on Christ in different circumstances, different situations, all that we can bear fruit. So we can be the witness and bear fruit. And so you look at this, so that's what the disciples are thinking. They're thinking, oh yeah, I can see that vineyard. I can see those rocks everywhere. I can see these branches growing here and then going there. And I can see them all over there to bear fruit. That's what God wants to do in our life. He doesn't say, okay, go bear fruit. You go figure out how to do it. He said, no, I'll lift you up so you can do it. And that's the whole confidence is that you cannot produce anything of value unless you are lifted up. Because on our own, we're going to just go grow across the ground, but when Christ comes in, he's going to lift us up. So we look back at this whole, this whole section of Scripture, and we see in these first couple of verses the confidence we have. Number one, we are first placed in Christ. Okay, that's your salvation. That's a pretty remarkable thing that God did as he brought you in relationship with Christ. You're now in the vine. The next thing that God does, he starts repositioning us. He lifts us up. He repositions us in different ways so that we can be a witness. And third, what he does, he prunes us. One of the definitions of prune is he cleanses us. He's taken us on this journey of sanctification. And we might have areas in our life, he's like, well, I'll just cut that off a little bit. I'm going to cut that off a little bit. That pruning is just cleaning. And over and over again, we see Jesus is just so interested in cleaning all of us so we can be his effective witnesses. And then we go on in verse 3, uh, verse 3 through 5, where it says, Already you are clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So now that seems to make a whole lot more sense what Jesus is talking about. See, in the prior verse, we saw everything Jesus, God does. He connects us to the vine. He lifts us up. He repositions us. He prunes us. And now God says, okay, now this is your part. You abide in me. So remember the whole thing, the reason for abiding is Christ is so that we remain, we stay, and we dwell with Christ. The whole reason that we abide is that we are connected to Christ, we depend on Christ, and that we live with Christ forever. And so we don't think of these things as, you know, series that we grow in, that first we remain, and then we stay, then we dwell. We're doing all these things, all three at the same time. And the first thing is connecting to the vine. That's what God does, and he gives us a gift of grace and faith that we come into relationship with him. But then in the second part, the whole depending on the vine, that's the part that we learn to be completely dependent on Christ for everything. That's the part where we start learning that everything in our life is dependent on what God is doing because we are just going to grow on the ground unless God lifts us up. And so that's where, did my microphone just do something funny? Oh, all right, so we grow. And then the third uh, way is that we live on the vine. In John 1, verse 38, two of Jesus' disciples go up to Jesus and they say to him, where are you staying they asked him this question, and the word for staying is the same word as where are you abiding? And it's interesting that the disciples would say to Jesus, where are you abiding? And that's the question that he would ask us, where are you abiding? Are you abiding? Are you living in that relationship with Christ from a day-to-day, hour-to-hour position? Or is it something that comes and goes? And the picture he wants us to see is that constantly abiding in him every minute of every day to give us that confidence and dependence on him. So it's interesting, the whole chapter starts with what God's going to do in your life, and then it comes to the point of what we have to do. 
Our role is to abide in him. But see, what's hard for us as Christians, we like to kind of sometimes want to do God's job instead of doing what we're called to do. See, God is the one who lifts us up and prunes us, and sometimes we're like, no, I want to do that part. I want to lift me up, and I want to prune me according to what I think is a good idea. And so somebody else can abide, but I want to do God's part. And I think this reason why this, this is stated here so well, it's like, no, you do your part so I can do my part. I think Richard Foster says it well when he says, when he's talking about Christian discipleship and he's talking about Christian mentoring, he says, we do the things that we can do, like abiding, so that God can do the things that we cannot do, like lifting us up and pruning. And I think this, this chapter is to help us remember, okay, what is my part in this sanctification process? What is my part in this pruning process? And that is simply to remain. Not to try to get me busy thinking I need to do what God needs to do. And I think that's one of the reasons that God, there's so much emphasis in the Bible on, as Christians, that we are called to worship God and that we're called to abide in Christ and that we're also called to be grateful. You kind of see these three, themes of these three words over and over again in scripture, because I think what God's saying is, okay, you focus on doing what I tell you to do so I can do my part. Instead of us always trying to get busy and thinking, well, I'll just kind of do God's part for him because that would be a little easier for me because I want to determine my outcomes. So now when verse six comes along, me go old school this is this hooked up all right so when verse six comes along it makes sense it says if anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch that withers and branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned so now we can understand okay a little bit what happens if you do not have a relationship with christ if you do not have the gift of grace and the gift of faith that god gives you and you don't have this relationship then you would be thrown away like a branch and so i think god is using this to say to the disciples okay this is your job to be a witness because there's people like that. And I'm going to send you out as a witness to witness to these people so that they can come into the relationship with God that he has for them. So then I want to go to read uh, verse 15, or verse 7 through 11 to finish up with this. And it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So if we go back to Richard Foster's words, that God calls us to do the things that we do, so we don't try to do the things that he is called to do, it suddenly makes a lot of sense when you look at this section of Scripture. Because when you look at this part of Scripture, what happens when we do our part of abiding in Christ? Suddenly we see in these Scriptures that our prayers are answered. God is glorified. We bear much fruit. You prove to be a disciples. You abide in God's love. And you have joy. And joy overflows. 
That's the result of when we abide in Christ. All these things happen in our life. But how often do we wonder, well, I want to produce joy in my life. Or I want to look for joy in my life, so I better do these things. Or I'm trying to bear fruit on my own, so I'm going to do these things. Instead of just remaining in Christ. Abiding in Christ, where we are connected to the vine, and we're dependent on the vine, and we live on the vine on a daily basis. That's what we do. And then we see God produce all these other things in our life. That's why Piper calls it this lifelong extension of encountering Jesus. Because when we simply are on that vine, it changes everything in our life. It changes the, way we, the, the, changes the place that we remain and where we stay and we dwell and we see these things coming together and abiding in Christ. We make that a priority and suddenly we can see our effectiveness. And so I want to finish today by doing the Lord's Supper together. And the Lord's Supper, another, another word for it is a feast of gratitude. We see in Matthew 26, verse 27, when Jesus was in that upper room with his disciples. And like I said earlier, there's a lot of emotions that are in that room that night. You're talking about, you're talking about vines. You're talking about branches. You're talking about some people that will be thrown into a fire. You're talking about Judas is no longer here. There's a lot of uncertainty. Peter's probably wondering, wait a minute, you think I'm going to deny you? And so I think in that room was probably the same emotion that we have in a room like this where there's a lot of different thoughts going on. What is going to happen on a daily basis? What happens today? What happens tomorrow? And Jesus, when he took the cup, it said he took the cup, he gave thanks and offered it to him. One of the very first things that Jesus did when he took the cup is that he gave thanks. See, that Lord's Supper that Jesus was taking to his disciple was a reflection of the Passover meal that the Israelites did for thousands of years prior to that night. The Jewish Passover was also always a time to gather together to be grateful to God for what he's done in the past. Because when you're grateful to God for what he's done in the past, it gives you confidence to know he's going to continue to do that in the future. And one of the reasons that we take communion together is because we're called to be grateful. God wants us to be grateful. When we focus on gratitude, then God can do all the other stuff that he wants to do in our life. So as we come together for communion, I want us to focus on being grateful. To be grateful for what God has done in the past, but also to give us confidence for what he's going to do in the future. And when Jesus left his disciples that night, he left, I think, with that room filled with gratitude. Because there's a whole lot of mixed emotions going on in that room that night. What is going on? But Jesus says, no, we're going to focus on being grateful. And so when we take communion today, let's focus on being grateful. Let's focus on doing our part and let God take care of all the other things that he needs to take care of. Because quite frankly, it is a whole lot easier for me to worry about my health and to worry about my finances and to worry about the future. I can just perseverate on that for hours and hours and hours. But it's not going to change anything. But what happens when I just get overtaken by just being grateful? That's what changes things. So when we come forward today to take communion, let's come forward with an attitude of gratitude because we are abiding in the vine. And let's all remember that he lifts us up, that God is the one who wants us to, us to bear fruit. He didn't say, okay, I want you to bear fruit. Then he sits back and says, I wonder if they can do it. 
But he says, no, I want you to bear fruit, so I'm going to give you every single advantage possible. And I want to lift you up. So God, as we come before you today, Lord, to take communion, I thank you, Lord, that you are lifting each of us up. That you are lift, lifting us up from the natural way that we would go on our own without you. And that's just us. Lay on the ground. But Lord, you are lifting us up so that you can be exalted. So God, I pray today, Lord, as we come through this communion line, Lord, as we think of you and we have gratitude for you. Lord, I think of this verse that says, but you, O Lord, are my shield around you, around me. You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. That, Lord, we can come here today with confidence knowing that you are the one who lifts our head high. So, Father, I pray that you'd meet each person as we come through this line today. That you would help us to focus on being grateful so that we can bear much fruit. Help us to be grateful so that we can give you glory. Help us to be grateful so that we can receive joy that overflows onto other people around us. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would just fill the sanctuary with gratitude so that you would be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen.